We now come to Luke's account of the Lord Jesus giving us the Lord's Prayer. We'll be coming to then Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11, we'll read the first 13 verses. Our text will be uh, verses uh, 5 through 13. Congregation, hear now the word of God himself. Now it came to pass, as he was praying in a certain place, when he had ceased, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. So he said to them, When you pray, say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us day by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And he said to them, Which of you shall have a friend, and go to him at midnight, and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has come to me on his journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And they will answer him from within and say, Do not trouble me, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence he will rise and give him as many as he needs. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Thus far the reading of God's holy word, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. We also meditate upon Lord's Day 46. The two question and answers there, Lord's Day 46. Why has Christ commanded us to address God as our Father? The answer, to awaken in us at the very beginning of our prayer what should be basic to our prayer. A childlike reverence and trust that through Christ, God has become our Father and will much less refuse to give us what we ask in faith than will our parents refuse us the things of this life. Over to the next page, 121. Why the words, who is in heaven? The answer, these words teach us not to think of God's heavenly majesty in an earthly way and to expect from his almighty power everything needed for body and soul. Thus far, our meditation upon the catechism this afternoon. As we begin this afternoon, this evening, little ones, children, I want to begin with a question for you. Why is it that when you have a nightmare, when you have a terrible dream, you either run to your parents' room or you cry out for your mom or your dad to come to you? That's the first thing you do. Why is that? Why is it that when you scrape your knee or if you sprain your ankle, the first thing you do is cry out for your mom, Mom, help me, come to me, pick me up. Why is it that when we're afraid of, of something, or maybe we have a big test coming up this week, why is it that there's there's nothing better than a reassuring hug from our dad and some gentle words of kindness and advice? Why is that? Why go to mom and dad right away? 
It's because you know who they are. You know that they are for you and not against you. You know mom and dad are on my team. Mom and dad are able to to comfort me. Mom and dad know what's best for me. Even if it means taking me to a scary place like the hospital. You see, you trust that your mom and dad will hear you and that they're able to help you. Would it really be comforting if you knew that your mom could hear your scream from the kitchen, but she couldn't or wouldn't come to help you? It would be very comforting. Would it be very comforting for your dad to, to listen to you talk about that test, but ignore you and not offer any help or advice or a hug? No, we trust. We have a certain type of, of faith in our parents because they've watched over us since before we were born. Our parents are wiser than us. Our parents are stronger than us. Our parents have shown themselves to be faithful to us, our faithful helpers. And the same is true of our relationship with God. God is wiser than us. God is mightier than us. And God has known us not just since before we were born, but before he called this very universe into existence. No matter our age, as believers, we have that glorious privilege of knowing God as our heavenly, loving, gentle Father. And that's exactly how the Lord, Lord's Prayer begins. It, it places us in that position, knowing who God is, placing our trust in Him. So that will be our theme this afternoon, beloved. We are called to pray to God our Father through Christ with a childlike reverence and all. We're talking about faith. We're called to pray to God our Father through Christ with a childlike reverence and trust. We're called to pray to God through Christ in faith. We'll take this up under two points. First, our Father's qualifications. And second, our eager expectation. Our Father's qualifications, our eager expectation. But let's be honest about the difficulty of prayer life sometimes. Being in the habit of prayer is far easier said than done, isn't it? We commit to doing it as a New Year's resolution almost every year. We anticipate that the question's going to come up in family visits. How is your family's prayer life? And so we figure we got to get back into the swing of things. And we, we try to get back into that habit of, of family prayer more often. But actually getting into that habit and staying in it is more difficult. And there's all sorts of reasons for this. Perhaps we, we find ourselves asking the question in, in frustration. Well, what use is prayer anyways? God never seems to hear my prayers. And so we become jaded or, or cold towards the practice. The will to do there is perhaps there. To do it is perhaps there, but our, our heart just isn't in it anymore. Perhaps others struggle with a more careless attitude towards prayer. You know how this works. I'd, I'd rather have that 10 extra minutes of sleep in the morning. That's a far more value to me. Or my favorite TV show is on at 9 just before I go to bed, and I just need to take in one more episode on Netflix. I don't have the time to pray tonight. I'm, I'm just too tired. Or the reality of the difficulty of children. Have you, have you seen my kids, Pastor? There's no way that they're going to settle down for prayer time tonight. Or maybe your struggle is confidence in prayer. I'm not really that eloquent of a speaker. Words often foul me, and I, I feel silly when I pray. 
whatever we struggle with, the call remains the same for each and every one of us when it comes to our prayers. We are called to come before our Heavenly Father in prayer persistently, continually. Calling out to our Heavenly Father, as the Catechism reminds us, awakes in us what should be basic, foundational, key to our prayer life. A childlike reverence and awe, that trust, that faith, that God is my Father. God has become my Father, not because I deserve it, but because Christ shed his precious blood for a measly sinner like me. What more motivation do we need? It's an honor to come before him. Well, in our text this afternoon, the Lord Jesus gives us two, as we could call them, how much more. How much more illustrations to teach us just how much we truly are able to depend on the Lord our God in prayer. And the first that we see is an image of a man disturbing his neighbor in the middle of the night for some food so that he can feed a a visitor. So look at verses 5 through 8 of our our text with me. Luke 11, 5 through uh, 8. And he said to them, Which of you shall have a friend? And, And go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend! Let me three loaves, for a friend of mine has come to me on, this, on his journey, and I have nothing to set before him. He will answer from within and say, Do not trouble me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. I say to you, though he will not rise and, and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence he will rise and give him as many as he needs. So picture it this way. Yeah. A small town. A small town where there's nothing open past 5 p.m. There's only one grocery store in town, and it's been closed for hours since it's already after midnight. A friend drops into your house unexpectedly, and he he needs some food and perhaps some bedding after a long journey. Long day of flying. What do you do? Tomorrow's grocery day, you're, you're run plumb out of groceries. What are you going to do? Well, you can call another church member. Hey, hey, Jerry, do you have an extra loaf of bread or a can of soup that I can I could use to to feed my friend? Maybe a pillow so he can lay his head down. You call you call Jerry once, he doesn't pick up. It's after midnight, and so you you call Jerry again. This time he picks up, but he he answers with that groggy voice. It's midnight, and I'm asleep. Can't this wait until tomorrow morning? But Jerry, I need a can of soup. I need a loaf of bread for, for my friend Jimmy and a pillow if you have an extra one. The kids are asleep, and if I go into the guest room to get a pillow, or if I, if I go out to the kitchen, they're going to wake up, and my night is shot. Fred can eat in the morning. Can't you just wait? No, Jerry, please, please just give me a couple slices of bread and a can of soup. A can of soup. And so through some grumbling, Jerry says, come well, come on by. You'll have the soup and bread and maybe a pillow waiting at his doorstep for you to come and pick up. The word that we read as, uh, as persistence in our text, it can be translated also as shameless. You shamelessly and repeatedly ask Jerry for some bare necessities and, and he follows through. You know Jerry can follow through. You know he will follow through because you know Jimmy needs some nourishment and he needs some sleep. So what's the point here, Pastor? What does this tell us about God? Are we learning here that that God is resentfully roused from bed to help us in our time of need? Well, it's not that at all, congregation. 
but rather that we are called to be persistent in our prayers, constantly in prayer. As one commentator puts it, he says, if, if we do not want what we are asking for in our prayers enough to be persistent, we do not want it very much. You see, God is far more than a friend who is begrudgingly roused at midnight to help us out. A God who wakes up grumpy and, and helps us simply because we are persistent. Well, think about it this way, beloved. If a fellow sinner friend will heed our persistent and shameless requests for aid, how much more, how much more will a perfectly righteous, gracious, kind, and merciful Heavenly Father hear us and act upon our prayers? He'll listen, he'll hear, and he'll act, even if it's not in our time or in our way. So that's why we're told this in verses 8 through 10 about this persistence. Nine, nine and ten, excuse me. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives. And he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Jerry didn't want to answer your request for bread and soup right away because Jerry is a grumpy sinner, just like you and me. But not so in, with God. When, when God waits to answer our prayers, it's because his ways are, are far above our ways. His sovereign plan is a better plan than ours. When we pray to our Father in heaven, we're reminded by question and answer 121 in the Catechism that it helps us not to think of God in an earthly way. Don't think of God like we think of our grumpy friend Jerry. No, that's not who God is. Our Father in heaven it's the God who is all-knowing, all-wise, all-powerful, and all-good. He's the Father, our God, who reigns in perfection and heavenly majesty. Well, then the Lord Jesus gives us a second how much more illustration to encourage us in our Father's credentials. And they come in the form of a rhetorical question about how a sinful father provides for his children. Uh, verse 11 of our text, Luke 11, verse 11. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? Children, think about that one for a moment. If you ask dad or mom for a snack after school, what will they give you? Perhaps an apple, maybe a cookie, a granola bar? Well, for honest, we, we ask for a cookie because that's what we really want. We want a cookie, and so we ask for a cookie as a snack. But instead, Mom gives us an apple or carrots because she knows that's best for us. But one thing we know for sure is that it's not going to be a snake. It will not be something that will harm us. Mom or Dad is going to give you something that is good for you. They certainly will hear and heed your request, even if it's not granted in the exact way that you wanted. I wanted the cookie but mom gave me an apple. Or if you ask your dad to pass the, the eggs at breakfast time and he'll pass you the, the frying pan with the eggs in it, he, he's not going to give you the raw ones from the fridge. No same father gives his kid a scorpion instead of meat and potatoes. And this is true of Christian parents, Buddhist parents, Muslim parents, atheist parents alike. So then verse 13 if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give you the gift, give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? 
You see, that brings us to our, our second point, our eager expectation. As sinful people take care of their children in this way, and we know how imperfect we can be as parents. Parents fall short all the time, some even in more true and truly spectacular ways. But even us as sinful parents, we, we seek to provide a roof over our children's heads. We put food on their plates. We give them a warm bed to sleep in. To do, other, to do otherwise than this, it would be unthinkable for us. And he's saying yet, sinful parent looks out for the well-being of their children, even if imperfectly. As a congregation, if this is how sinners take care of and treat their own children, how much more can we expect that our perfect, loving, gracious Father in Heaven will provide for all that we need, body and soul? How much more? And so here the Lord Jesus makes an argument from the lesser to the greater in order to build our confidence, heighten our expectations. Think of the own relationships that you have in your life, that I have in mine. Here there are moms and dads, grandparents, there's siblings, there's uncles and aunts. Take a moment to think about this. You know how deeply as parents you love your own children. You know as a grandparent how deeply you love your grandchildren. You know as an uncle or an aunt how deeply you love your nieces and nephews. You even know little ones as siblings how deeply you love your brothers and sisters. You know that you would jump into oncoming traffic to save them from getting hit by a car. How much more is our sovereign God willing and able to act on our behalf? Who knows our weaknesses better than our sovereign God? Who knows our frailties better than our sovereign God? Who knows the struggles that we encounter better than our sovereign God? Who knows the sins that we struggle with better than our sovereign God? Who knows our needs better than our sovereign God? It's our Father in heaven alone. We can, as question and answer 121 reminds us, expect from his almighty power everything that we need. And as Jesus calls us to pray, he, he sandwiched, as we noted, that call to eager persistence between these two illustrations. Again, those first, those words in verses 9 and 10. And so I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened for you. For everyone who asks, receives. And he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Ask, seek, knock, and you will receive from the Lord exactly what you need. But congregation, take a moment and notice that we're we're told here in verse 10. We're indeed told that he who asks will receive. Not that he receives the exact thing that he wants, but he will receive exactly what he needs. It's like the child who wants a cookie but gets an apple burn. Perhaps he he wants that cookie, but he receives what is good for him. The same is true of our prayers to the Lord. We can can eagerly come to him in prayer knowing that even if he does not answer how we want him to answer, indeed he will answer. He will do what is ultimately good for our souls and our salvation. But even furthermore than this, beloved, notice that this instruction prayer comes to us from Who? This instruction to prayer comes to us from Jesus, the second person of the Trinity. Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, is calling upon us to pray to the Father. 
the first person of the Trinity. He's giving us the promise that we will receive the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. All of this, all of this made possible, not because of us, but because the Father chose a people in the Son, whom the Son shed his blood for, and in whom the Holy Spirit kindles that faith. All for poor sinners such as us. How much more can we expect that he'll provide for our every need? Especially when we want the cookies of life, but are given the apples or beloved, even when we're given the bitter medicine of life. But even in those moments, we still confess to the Apostle Paul his promises of God in Romans chapter 8. So if you would turn with me there, Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, beginning at verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died, and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of God, the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither life nor death nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor heights, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Beloved, we are called to persistently ask, to seek, to knock, as that childlike faith is kindled within our hearts, that because of Christ, God, is our perfect, all-knowing, all-powerful Father in heaven who will hear us and who will never leave us and never forsake us. Amen.